there, this is Mary Jordan. I'm a reporter with the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. I'm joined in the studio today by artist Danielle Hatch of Bentonville, and we have Ryder Buttry, the Director of Strategic Programs and Initiatives with the Women's Foundation of Arkansas on the phone with us. Thank you both for being here with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Um, we are talking um, about women's diversity today. It's the latest podcast in a, a series of six podcasts that we're doing on the topic um, to go with stories that are going to be featured in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette in the next couple weeks or so. Um, and we're very grateful to have you guys here speaking in this conversation. Um, Danielle, why don't we start by having you just introduce yourself? Sure. So I am Danielle Hatch. I currently live in Bentonville with my husband and three children. Um, I work as a um, programmer at Crystal Bridges in their adult programs department um, within the education department. And I'm also an artist. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, which means that um, my work can encompass sculpture, performance, installation art, um, just a variety of different mediums. So, Okay, great. And um, what's the scope of the projects? I understand that you have, um, well, let me rephrase that. What's the emphasis of your work? Sure. So a lot of the work that I make um, explores the female body's uh, relationship to the built environment and also landscape. Um, I look a lot at like um, thinking about power structures and um, our notions of artificiality. Um, I'm also interested in sort of the histories of spaces and how people have interacted with them over time and how that relates to our current situation or moment in time. Um, but a lot of the work that I do emphasizes the female form, like as a point of reference for understanding space um, and also how we experience space emotionally. So that's sort of <laughs> vague, but, <laughs> but that's sort of where a lot of my projects start. No, it's interesting. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, and Ryder, what can you tell us about the Women's Foundation of Arkansas and the work that they're doing in the state? Yeah, so um, the Women's Foundation of Arkansas has been around for um, about 21 years. Uh, we celebrated our 20th anniversary last year, and um, our work really centers around women and girls in Arkansas's um, economic security and so we do that um, through two initiatives. One is Women Empowered, which focuses on um, different aspects of, of women's wealth building, whether that's um, access to capital and business business ownership and entrepreneurship or um, kind of other forms of wealth building, which may be retirement savings, um, home ownership, different different things like that. And then Girls of Promise is actually our founding initiative. It just turned 20 last year. And um, it focuses on getting girls into STEM careers and into those high paying jobs in the state. So really, our founders were, were the first to see STEM as kind of an important future uh, cornerstone of our of our economy. And so we've been working in that space for for going on 21 years, uh, but really our role is a statewide foundation, and so we act as kind of a convener, um, we produce research, and we also are a grant maker, so we actually raise funds and then grant back out to organizations that are that are doing work under those two initiatives. Okay, and how does Arkansas compare with other states when it comes to creating equal and equitable work environments for women? So we actually produced um, a research report about two years ago 
that was on the economic indicators of, of women in Arkansas. And so it was broken down by race and ethnicity, by county. Um, and so it looked at several different economic indicators. But as far as um, our female labor force participation, we are a bit lower than the national average here in Arkansas. We're at about 53%, and the national average is about 58 um, and our, our median earnings are a bit lower than the national, um, but our earnings ratio, so the gap between what men and women earn, is, is close to the national average. Um, and so um, there's definitely work to be done, and those numbers vary def- definitely depending on where you are in the state, but that, that's what our research has found. Okay, and how does Northwest Arkansas compare with the rest of the state then as a region? Yeah, so um, Northwest Arkansas actually is really interesting when it comes to the the labor force participation rate um, because the rates, the lowest rates um, of labor force participation among women are eight of the 15 counties um, are actually in that central area of the Northwest Arkansas region. Uh, But, of course, you see in counties like Benton and Washington exceptions with they have rates actually higher than the state average. Uh, they have rates around 56%. So um, there is some um, nuance there. And is the rural nature of Arkansas a contributor to the level of equality for women in the state at all? Um, I think, you know, when, when we're talking about rural areas, um, first you, you have to think about that um, these rural parts of the state and, and even our whole country have had have had working women long before the the women's movement, you know, flooded flooded the workforce with with middle class women in the '60s and the '70s and the '80s, and these working class women in rural America have have really seen work as a way of life and a necessity, um, not necessarily a liberation. And so I think that that work has gone unacknowledged for for a while. And so I, I first want to to acknowledge that, but I also think that um, based on on some of our our data and, and other organizations' data, when you're talking about rural areas, which in Arkansas is the majority of the state, um, there are additional barriers, whether that's you know high speed broadband internet access or transportation or, or access to healthcare, and so all these barriers affect working women, but but really all women, and so it definitely is a contributor to to, to women's access to certain certain things they need to be successful. Okay. Uh, thanks so much for giving us this background. Um, I'm wondering about the expectations of society and what they may feel men's and women's traditional roles should be. I'm wondering how that's a factor in this conversation. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, like I said, I think um, a lot of, a lot of women in these rural parts of the state have, have worked for a long time because they, they had to. And um, we also see in, um, some of our most rural areas, there is over 50% of, of women-headed households with children are living in poverty. And so these these women are, are running households, often single women. And so I think traditionally that is not the makeup of, of what is seen as the traditional family, the, the women staying at home, the, the husband going to work. And so um, I think that that data with that, large of a number, you, you know, that has much to do with the historical barriers that have been built into our systems to, to keep women out of the workforce. Um, 
and and to keep those traditional roles in place. But but you also see in some of these statistics really the, the intersection of the barriers that were also put in place to keep people of color out. And so um, I do think those traditional roles have had a lot to do with some of the barriers that are still impeding women today. Thanks so much for that information. Um, so Danielle, what are some of the personal challenges you've experienced as a working female artist? So I think I'm thinking about that question. I'd like to talk maybe specifically about being a female artist with children. Okay. Because that's kind of the perspective that I have. And I had my children quite young when I was in graduate school, in fact. Um, I had my oldest um, a week before I finished my uh, master's in fine art. And so um, I was and thinking about this topic. I was remembering an experience that I had um, my first year of graduate school where um, I was speaking with a professor who was really supportive of my work um, and just gave me a lot of good feedback. But he made an offhand comment about a previous female student that he had had that he loved. Like she was a painter. He had purchased several of her paintings and then a couple of years later, she had had a child and how disappointed he was in her. Wow. <laughs> and he, he said that, you know, now she's not going to sort of live up to her creative potential because of this choice that she made to have children. And um, and he was also a little sad that his paintings probably, he didn't think they'd be worth as much. <laughs> so that, I was really taken aback by that. I was sort of in my first year and didn't quite know what to say. Um, but because of that, I ended up doing a performance during my second year when I was pregnant with my son where I created a uniform for myself and I wore this like large navy tunic dress for the entire like gestational period of like carrying my son because I decided that I did not want to share like that part of my life with <laughs> with the sort of artist part of my life I guess you could say and so I like took photographs of myself each month wearing this dress with the intention that I would look the same throughout the the nine months of my pregnancy and so I'd sort of forgotten about that experience but um by the end, like the last month, everyone knew I was pregnant <laughs> at that point. But I did have another female professor, though, who said that um, like she had had a, a child probably in her early 40s. And she gave me the feedback that like, you know what, I looking back, I wish I had had my children younger, which I was not expecting to hear from her. So I, I kind of got both messages of like, this is going to be terrible for your art career to be a mother or, you know, from an actual woman herself, like no, this is okay. And so, yeah, just trying to navigate that in my mind of like, what is the right choice about having children or not? And how will that affect my ability to be creative and to really pursue art um, in a way that I feel like I'm actually living up to sort of what I feel like I can do, I guess, artistically. So that's, that's something that I've sort of struggled with navigating in the 10 years that I've been a mom is just, um, or 11 years, um, is yeah, finding that balance of like, family is important to me. I wanted children. I grew up as an only child. And um, so as an abstract idea, it was like multiple children. Yes. <laughs> in reality, it's like very, um, I mean, yeah, it's just a whole like, it's a well, you could pour yourself into it, and it would never, it would never fill up, I think. And so, yeah, just trying to navigate that as an artist who I feel like artistic practices can be the same way you can devote yourself completely to them, and maybe not feel like you're, <laughs> you're giving as much as you could. And so how do I, how do I be in both places in a way that feels 
adequate at this point or, yeah. you know, yeah. Well, so what did you discover as you progressed, you know, over those 11 years, you know, did, did you discover that your work did suffer, that you're not living up to your potential or, <laughs> I mean, what did you, yeah, learn? um, no, I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think I discovered, like, I tried at different times to sort of silo things apart from each other and I didn't, I don't think that was successful. Like, er, initially I was just kind of pushed art to the side and was like completely focused on being a mom and I learned a lot in that period but I also learned that like mentally I wasn't thriving I would say and so um you know I started to like show at a gallery and have more of like a specific time that I sort of separated myself from my children and I was lucky enough to have family support which is not you know the norm and so I had in-laws that would take my kids for an entire week while I just focused on a project that I needed to do so I just learned that I need I need both things in my life and so now I'm just sort of find myself trying to I mean it's a constant reshuffling of priorities every day like there's no I think one perfect way to do it, but I think both things are important to who I am as a person. And I think both things benefit, like I'm a better, I'm a better mother when I'm an artist. And I think like only speaking from my personal experience, but I think my art is better for the experiences that I've had as a mother. So, so yeah, that's, I don't know. So, <laughs> it's not specific. But <laughs> well, so the experience then has been valuable for your family. It sounds like. I think so. Yeah, no, I mean, I like, creativity is something that I explore with my children and that I think makes life more vibrant for us I hope so um so yeah I well thank you for sharing that oh we really appreciate the very personal view into it so tell me um how are those sometimes reflected in your work some of those challenges yeah so I mentioned the piece where I created the uniform um another piece that I did um, at a gallery in Washington State was called Motherboard. And I was sort of exploring the phys intense physical isolation that I felt with very young children. You're sort of connected to the house in this really visceral way because your children every two hours need to take a nap. And so this was something that I hadn't been used to. I was someone that spent a lot of time out and about. And so to be sort of physically isolated for so often, but then this is it was in the age of like, mom blogs were very popular at this time and so I began to sort of like find domestic spaces online and points of connection online and so I did an installation that sort of explored this juxtaposition of like physical isolation with like mental connection through um through this computer code and um yeah, so that was a piece that I did about that specific moment in my life and then the a performance piece that I'm working on right now is very much about connecting back to my female ancestors um, as they've sort of crossed um, landscapes and thinking about women in migratory movements um, and some of my ancestors that experienced that and specifically like a historical weight that I think we carry as women, the more that we begin to sort of delve into the lived experiences of women in the past, that can feel very heavy. And there's a James Baldwin quote about we carry our history with us. And so I'm creating this enormous backpack that I'm going to like walk across the desert in Utah wearing. <laughs> and so th it's this idea of like releasing this weight in a way that feels like generative instead of just intensely like cumbersome, I guess. 
So that's the piece that I'm working on right now. And that's specifically about connecting to my mother and her mother and her mother before her. So less about my own experience with my children, I guess. But That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, Ryder, I'm curious. It sounds like a lot of the conversations Danielle's having with herself, um, they sound like conversations I've had, too, as a working mother. Are they, they kind of common for women to... Um, go this route in trying to justify what they're doing for their job and balancing their responsibilities as mothers? Yeah, so I think, you know, what Danielle said, I think we, we see, um, we work with women across all all facets of the economic spectrum, and I think, you know, barriers to childcare and just um, a lack of, of general support, um, societal support and pressure that, that we put on mothers is, a huge barrier and a, a huge um, impediment to, to women on on all all ends of that spectrum, and so um, you know, I I don't think that that what what you felt was was unique to being an artist or, or unique to you. I think sadly that it's it's how most mothers um, raising raising children in America, especially working mothers, feel, and um, so. You know, at the Women's Foundation, we're we're specifically interested in in what policies we can support or what programs um, we can support that that ease that that pressure and that burden on on mothers so they can focus on 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 working or building wealth in, in other ways. Okay, and what steps is the foundation taking to try to overcome some of these circumstances? Yeah, so. Um, one of the big barriers that we're really focused on at, at WFA is a lot of times you hear about the, the pay gap, but we're really focused on, on the wealth gap, and it's much more um, striking than the pay gap. White women only own $0.32 cents for every dollar owned by white men, and for, for black and Latino women, it's barely a penny. And so, um, you know, women couldn't even get, get a credit card without – a, a man's signature until 1974 when the Equal Credit Opportunity Act was passed. And so women are really behind on that building credit and, and getting to that, um, that, that financial wealth building stable, um, foundation that, that men have been able to have historically and generationally been building much longer. And so we are really focused on closing that gap and, we do that through several different um, initiatives and programs we support. We have a campaign called Save 10 uh, that is really educating and encouraging women to save 10% for retirement. Um, we have our STEM programs are really encouraging girls to get in those careers where they'll, they'll have the means to be, to be building wealth. Um, but we also we see in, in a lot of these rural areas that employment is a barrier and because there aren't jobs. And so in, in our report, you actually see the highest concentration of women-owned businesses in the most impoverished part of the state along the eastern border. And so we are really exploring different innovative approaches to supporting female business owners and entrepreneurs. And so we've been exploring access to capital and, and mentorship and and different resources that they can they can utilize to really turn that business not just into something that puts food on the table, but um, into something they're building equity.
building and building wealth with. Well, and I imagine having those women operate these small businesses and serve as role models for other young girls and women in the community is significant. Yeah, and and really, you know, role models and representation is a is a large part part of our model, and it has been since since the first Girls of Promise conference in 1999. Um, we are big believers, and you have to see it to believe it. You have to see it to be it. And so all of our programs and all of our grantees also are asked to follow this model, um, do have an element of mentorship and girls and women are always needing um, a girl or a woman that is, whether it's in a successful STEM profession or um, another successful business owner, um, we are big believers in, in representation and role models. And Danielle, what can you tell me about the value of having successful female artists as role models in your life? Oh, I think it's, I completely agree um, with what Ryder said about needing, needing to be able to see things in order to kind of chart a path for yourself. Um, and so I love, I mentioned this to you in our previous conversation, but I love to read biographies of women. I love especially women's stories where they come to their profession in maybe unconventional ways, like not the typical, I finished my undergrad, I went to graduate school, I became a lawyer. Like I, so one that I mentioned before was Catherine Graham's biography, the former editor of the Washington Post. Um, like there's just a lot of incredible women that maybe started their career in their 40s. I think about the author Elizabeth Strout. She didn't publish her first book until she was 43. Um, and then also just in terms of the art world, um, I remember attending a talk at the University of Texas with the sculptor Anne Hamilton, and she was asked a question about how she navigates um, her role as a mother and an artist, and she talked about how like she's not someone that silos those two things apart, that she can be making soup with her son and generating ideas for art projects. And I just thought that was such a lovely <laughs> visual for me at that time and something that I needed to hear to realize that, you know what, I don't have to turn off my creative brain when I'm with my family. Like I can be, ideas can come to me as I live my life, that that can create a richer, um, that art doesn't have to be in this vacuum necessarily. Like if we want to really speak to the human condition, it needs to encompass motherhood. It needs to encompass like our lived realities day to day. So yeah, just hearing, hearing those female artists who have navigated that uh, world. I also think of my favorite author is Zadie Smith and she's a mother who teaches and writes and doesn't appear to be losing her mind. So, <laughs> so that's encouraging. Um, yeah. So women's stories are important to tell. And, and why is art a valuable part of this conversation that we're having about equality and equity for women? Oh, wow. Um, well, again, I think art as it's at its best is a reflection of um, our lived experience as a society, as human, you know, like humans, basically, at its most elemental level. And so um, is it really representative of anything if it's just one half of the population uh, experience is being told. And so, um, yeah, I think as with, as with any other like field, I think it's, I don't think art is privileged above politics or, you know, um, other areas where female representation is lacking or is, you know, I think equality in all those areas is important just 
on a purely like beneficial level. Like I don't think we do any service to anyone by not having like half the brain power of humanity, like, you know, being brought to bear. So um, I'm trying to think specifically about art. Um, I mean, for me, I was really lucky that I, I went to a women's college. And so it was never um, like within my introduction to art, I was surrounded by strong women. Um, and so I appreciated that because it never, my gender never felt like a barrier to me becoming an artist or, or being successful even. It was just, I think motherhood was the thing <laughs> that scared me more than, more than femininity per se. So, yeah. So how can we use art then to affect change, maybe empower other women to kind of step out of, you know, some of these barriers, step beyond some of these barriers? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's see. I mean, we talked about stories that are told, and I think art is one tool for telling a story that um, of, like, women who are able to, um, you know, create things that are hopefully meaningful to people. And I think as they as you make those connections with female artists, I think of the artist Ruth Asawa. Uh, she has a sculpture at Crystal Bridges that I love. She created um, these incredible like biomorphic metal sculptures um, just in her home in Northern California. Um, she, I think she had five children and there are these incredible photographs of her sitting on the floor of her house, like just weaving with this wire and the whole ceiling of her house is covered with these sculptures and like, as a mother and an artist seeing that and seeing her work and what she was able to do um, within her life as a mother and as an artist is so, I mean, it's so rich and inspiring to me. So I think, yeah, like the world is better for having Ruth Asawa's sculptures. And she was able to do that as like not sort of dividing herself up into different worlds, but really just experiencing all that it meant to be a woman to her. So yeah, well, and I know that we haven't completely arrived. You know, that's part of the, the crux of this conversation. We still have a ways to go, but I'm curious of what either of you would say that we need to do as a society to kind of keep the momentum going to get closer to more equality. Affordable child care is a huge one. So? Yeah, I mean, I've read so many books about France or Iceland, like all these countries where there's just these like, state-sponsored like incredible like programs for you know helping women to have affordable child care so that they can not feel so guilty about um sort of yeah living all parts of their life in a way that they're comfortable with and I mean I yeah I hesitate to say that that's for everyone because I have have friends that like what they want to do is be with their children and I think that's fantastic but just allowing women like we've talked about economics um like it's so important to have that economic ability to support yourself and when that is like it's child care is just so um unpredictable and it can be very difficult to navigate that world having a job and being the one who's responsible for taking care of your children because it's not something that is um nine to five, like your children get sick, you know, the the dog dies, like all these things happen as a mother that you're responsible for um, a lot of the time. And so having a a system where we sort of just acknowledge that difficulty and maybe 
yeah, I don't know. Well, <laughs> Affordable child care, that's all I can think of. I, I absolutely relate to that, too. Um, when my children were young, um, I actually had to quit working when my son was born because child care was as much as I made. And mm-hmm. I was actually a soldier in the military. Right. And so childcare is supposed to be affordable even in that place, but it it was impossible for me to work. And it fell to me to stay home with the kids because we just determined I'd be a better mother than their father. (laughs) (laughs) The flip of the coin. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that being said, uh, Ryder, can you speak into this at all? Yeah. um, And so I, you know, I completely agree with what, with what Danielle said. um, And that's something you know, we're passionate about at um, WFA is, is policy change. Um, but also, you know, there has to be a, a culture and a societal shift, and um, especially when it comes to, to workplace equity. Um, and so we have, you know, started engaging men. We have a, a small private dinner um, that we, we ask a man, to facilitate where they talk about these workplace issues and, and it's called men as allies. And so really bringing in not just women to the conversation, but also men and how they can be the advocates um, for this kind of change. And, and so, yeah, that's, you know, policy culture change and, and um, just that shift in, and getting a woman what she needs to, to build that economic security. And do you feel that's something that's attainable for the state or the region? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you talked about a bit about rural rural um, Arkansas earlier, and I think we're a small state, and so it's a lot easier to get things done, but we are a rural state, and that does um, bring about some more barriers for us. But um, I think the main barrier, especially when it comes to some of these these areas where policy could step in is, is access. You know, I mentioned before internet transportation, these things, um, make access a lot harder for women, whether it's to childcare or healthcare or even a bank. And there are, there are things going on in the state that are addressing that. There's actually, um, there is an initiative called Bank on Arkansas. It's through a group we're a part of called Arkansas Asset Funders Network. And um, it is reaching under or unbanked Arkansans. And, you know, when you look at maps, it's almost similar to food deserts in not even just rural parts of the state. It's here in Little Rock, too. Banks are really concentrated in high-wealth neighborhoods. um, And it's much harder for, for some of these other areas to have access to that that formal financial institution and we believe that's really important because those are the institutions where you build wealth where you build credit um and so we've been a part of that and so i do think there's things going on in the state to address some of these various barriers to access um but i also think that on a larger level you have to have that that policy change that's really gonna reconfigure a system that was built to not advantage women, especially women of color. All right. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Now, Danielle, um, you know, I just ask, how would you encourage women, you know, as we continue down this path, you know, until we get where we're going, how would you encourage whether women who are in perhaps the same situation you are, whether it's working in the art field or any other career field? Uh, well, I would say 
one thing I would encourage women to do is find a local community or not even a local, but I talk with the several artist friends over Marco Polo almost like at least two or three times a week on the art projects that we're working on. And I think that can be so encouraging as a woman to be surrounded by other women who are also dealing with similar um, issues of juggling responsibilities. Um, but then you see what can be done. You see other women like making the time to have their gallery show, making the time um, to um, go to an art fair. And you realize, you know what, like, I'm not going to limit myself. I'm going to realize that it is possible to do these things. And so I think if you can, to just build that local community of support and encouragement is so vital, at least for me and my art practice. I I really appreciate having those connections to people that inspire me um, and sort of broaden my my view of what I can do at this moment in my life. So, yeah. Awesome. And Ryder, would you have anything to add to that? No, no. I think we covered we covered a lot. All right. Thank you. Now, and we have. So is there anything at all that we touched on that you guys would like to expand on or, or we didn't touch on that you think is valuable to talk about today? Let's see. Um, no, I mean, this has been a great chance to sort of reflect on, um, yeah, the different parts of my life, like as an artist and a mother and a woman. And um, now I feel like in as much as we still have a long way to go, I'm really thankful to have been born at this moment in time <laughs> where I can have these conversations and really foresee um, like a blueprint for women to, you know, achieve their creative goals if they desire that. And that's really encouraging to me. Yeah, me too. Uh, Ryder, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I mean, I just wanted to kind of add on to what Danielle said. Um, I think, you know, this is a really... Um, a really opportune moment uh, because there are a lot of these conversations happening, not just um, nationally, but but here in this state and even locally um, in various regions. And so, um, it's making it's it's deepening our work. And uh, I just appreciate the the chance to to discuss it a little more in, in another platform to bring the conversation. Well, I appreciate you both joining us for the conversation today. Um, it's really been truly valuable um, to talk through some of these things, and I, I'm sure what we share today will benefit our listeners. So thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thanks.